Section three of Twain and Howells on each other. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Mark Twain, Literary Friends and Acquaintances by William Dean Howells. Chapter two. There is a gap in my recollections of Clemens, which I think is of a year or two, for the next thing I remember of him is meeting him at a lunch in Boston, given us by that genius of hospitality, the tragically destined Ralph Keeler, author of one of the most unjustly forgotten books, Vagabond Adventures, a true bit of picaresque autobiography. Keeler never had any money, to the general knowledge and he never borrowed, and he could not have had credit at the restaurant where he invited us to feast at his expense. There was T. B. Aldrich, there was J. T. Fields, much of the oldest of our company, who had just freed himself from the trammels of the publishing business and was feeling his freedom in every word. There was Bret Hart, who had lately come east in his princely progress from California, and there was Clemens. Nothing remains to me of the happy time but a sense of idle and aimless and joyful talk-play, beginning and ending nowhere, of eager laughter, of countless good stories from Fields, of a heat-lightning shimmer of wit from Aldridge, of an occasional concentration of our joint mockeries upon our host, who took it gladly, and amid the discourse, so little improving, but so full of good fellowship, Bret Hart's fleeting dramatization of Clemens' mental attitude toward a symposium of Boston illuminates. "'Why, fellows,' he spluttered, "'this is the dream of Mark's life!' And I remember the glance from under Clemens' feathery eyebrows which betrayed his enjoyment of the fun. We had beefsteak with mushrooms, which, in recognition of their shape, Aldridge hailed as shoe-pegs and to crown the feast we had an omelette souse, which the waiter brought in as flat as a pancake, amid our shouts of congratulations to poor Keeler, who took them with appreciative submission. It was, in every way, what a Boston literary lunch ought not to have been, in the popular ideal which Hart attributed to Clemens. Our next meeting was at Hartford, or rather at Springfield, where Clemens greeted us on the way to Hartford. Aldridge was going on to be his guest, and I was going to be Charles Dudley Warner's, but Clemens had come part way to welcome us both. In the good fellowship of that cordial neighborhood, we had two such days as the aging sun no longer shines on in his round. There was constant running in and out of friendly houses, where the lively hosts and guests called one another by their Christian names or nicknames and no such vain ceremony as knocking or ringing at doors. Clemens was then building the stately mansion in which he satisfied his love of magnificence, as if it had been another sealskin coat, and he was at the crest of the prosperity which enabled him to humor every whim or extravagance. The house was the design of that most original artist, Edward Potter, who once, when hard-pressed by incompetent curiosity for the name of his style in a certain church, proposed that it should be called the English Violet Order of Architecture. And this house was so absolutely suited to the owner's humor that I suppose there never was another house like it. But its character must be for recognition farther along in these reminiscences. 
the vividest impression which clemens gave us two ravenous young boston authors was of the satisfying the surfeiting nature of subscription publication an army of agents was overrunning the country with the prospectuses of his books and delivering them by the scores of thousands in completed sale of the innocents abroad he said it sells right along just like the bible and roughing it was swiftly following without perhaps ever quite overtaking it in popularity but he lectured aldrich and me on the folly of that mode of publication in the trade which we had thought it the highest success to achieve a chance in anything but subscription publication is printing for private circulation he maintained and he so won upon our greed and hope that on the way back to boston we planned the joint authorship of a volume adapted to subscription publication we got a very good name for it as we believed in memorable murders and we never got farther with it but by the time we reached boston we were rolling in wealth so deep that we could hardly walk home in the frugal fashion by which we still thought it best to spare car fare carriage fare we did not dream of even in that opulence end of chapter two of my mark twain